Being a professional isn't about the money you make, the position you hold, your level of expertise or fame. It's the motivation and the attitude you bring to your work. A desire for always learning and improving and balancing your creative output with getting the business done. Welcome and join the Creating Pros. Welcome back and Happy New Year. I'm your host, Jim Nettles, and it's time for another round of Creating Pros. And it is Public Domain Day 2024. Uh, by now, you've probably heard a lot of the stuff about Mickey and Minnie Mouse coming into the public domain. You know, this means that the House of Mouse is starting to edge forward into a lot of their critical assets, their critical intellectual property, now edging into the public domain. But what does all of it really mean? You know, does this mean that you can now run out and create your own Mickey and Minnie Mouses? What is this, you know, what can you really go do with all of this? And why is this important uh, to everybody as creators and fans even as well? Well, it's complicated and you should not necessarily take any of what I'm saying here as legal advice. You know, if there's things that you're wanting to do, this is where it's time to probably consult an IP attorney before you get yourself in trouble because we all know that the house of mouse is very litigious at times. Now, when we take a look at the notion of intellectual property, when we look at certain foundational works, for example, I really think that looking at Disney and looking at Mickey Mouse and looking at how they've developed intellectual property over the years really creates a really good example as to why intellectual property is important. Now, it does not matter you know, how you feel about Disney, how you feel about them as a company, how you feel about how they've acted. What's important is looking at how they've operated as a company in terms of the intellectual property. Now, we all know that they have been very litigious. We know that they are very much about there to protect their works, their IP. And much like many of the major companies, there's a lot of good reasons for this. Now, when we look at Public Domain Day 2024, much of everything we're talking about right now is about Mickey and Minnie Mouse because they are very foundational. They are really, Disney is part of the foundation, the reason that intellectual property law, copyrights, trademarks, um, really operate the way that they do right now. Uh, the House of Mouse was fundamental in getting a lot of the intellectual property laws changed specifically around copyrights and how they're treated in much of the West and really throughout the world, they've had a lot of influence. If we go back to the Copyright Act, uh, the Sonny Bono Act, and that extended copyright protections in the U.S., and this has really had a lot of influence on how intellectual property protections work, Disney is the main cited case for the reason why we've seen copyright protections extended, extended, extended was because they were actively working to protect Mickey Mouse. And it's really important to understand this history. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more as well. But not only did these kinds of foundational works enter you know, the public domain this year, there's a lot of other stuff, thousands of other works as well, most of which you're never going to have heard of um, or ever crossed your path. But there's a lot of very fundamental pieces that have. You know, last year we saw Winnie the Pooh enter the public domain. Well, this year his buddy Tigger did too. D.H. Uh, Lawrence's Lady Chatterley's Lover, which was a book that we had to read when I was in college. 
Um, it's one that's been turned into a number of films and film properties over the years also came into uh, the public domain. You know, we see another one of Agatha Christie's books, um, The Blue Tra uh, Murder Mystery of the Blue Train came in, uh, Charlie Chaplin's The Circus as a film came into it. Victor Hugo's The Man Who Laughs was another major film that came in. Uh, when we look at plays like J.M. Barry's Peter Pan, now Peter Pan, the written Peter Pan and Wendy had been in the public domain for a long while, but the actual written play, which is what really grabbed a lot of the history and legacy of Peter Pan, is just now entering the public domain. You know, we see songs like Cole Porter, Let's Do It, Let's Fall in Love, which has been used in a lot of films over the years. Um, and American in Paris by George Gershwin. Uh, we see one of the famous M.C. Escher wood carvings coming in, uh, the Tower of Babel. You know, when we look at all of these kinds of properties coming in, there's a tremendous amount of cultural influence entering the public domain. You know, one of the big ones that has a lot of impact is the what's often called the first full talking movie, the first full talkie. The Lights of New York from Warner Brothers um, came into the club this year, the public domain. Uh, so did all of the remaining Oswald the Rabbit or the Lucky Rabbit cartoons. And the reason that Oswald the Lucky Rabbit is important is because these were produced in the early days of the Walt Disney Studio. Now, some of those cartoons had already passed in the public domain, but the rest of them moved in this year. Oswald the Lucky Rabbit is important because that was the foundational character that helped lead to Mickey Mouse. Now, of course, I don't think anybody had an idea what this would lead to with the first Steamboat Willie and some of the early, uh, the early cartoons. But the reason we have Mickey Mouse in the current form we do is because Oswald the Lucky Rabbit was really done in licensed Universal Studios. And so Walt Disney um, and um, Uvi Works, they went to go create their next new character, which turned out to be Mickey and turned out to be in the form which is up over my shoulder. Um, now, at the time, nobody really could have had an expectation that a character like this, you know, a mouse, um, you know, a black and white mouse on a steamboat and an early adopter uh, with Disney was they introduced and were an early adopter of what's called synchronized sound, which was synchronizing the sounds, music, sound effects to the film that we have here. And again, this ties back to that idea of the talkie pictures that were coming out at the time. Um, so when we look this is really foundational because we see this movement into new technologies, new imagery, new styles, and all of this contributing to entertainment. And a lot of it is all happening around the exact same time that we see Mickey Mouse being created. Now, again, for good, for bad, for ugly, you know, Disney has had a tremendous amount of influence on the entertainment industry. Uh, we know that we can look at all of the different products they put out over the years. We can look at their foundational characters. Again, Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, you know, Goofy, Daffy Duck, or not Daffy Duck, uh, Donald Duck, you know, a bunch of these other characters that have been created up through time. We've seen a lot of the foundational characters and films that they've created based on myths, legends, mythologies. We've seen them bring new intellectual property, new characters to light. 
And all of this is possible really because of intellectual property protections, um, copyrights, trademarks. One of the things that we often hear is this argument about, well, you know, a person, a company, so-and-so has made enough money off of it. It should be public domain. That's really not the way these things work. And there's a lot of good reasons for that. You know, obviously, the vast majority of works will never create a billion-dollar empire. It's very rare that this happens, of course. Um, you know, in short, without intellectual property protections like copyrights, trademarks, you would not have the collective works of Disney at all. Um, you wouldn't have the works of Lucasfilm. You would not have, um, you know, you wouldn't have Star Wars. You would not have Indiana Jones. You would not have these billion-dollar products. Um, you wouldn't have anything from Marvel and DC. You would not have the Hallmark Channel. You know, you wouldn't have Harry Potter. You wouldn't have Elvis. You wouldn't have Sting. You wouldn't have Taylor Swift or any really major media products today. Because when we look at all of these various empires that have been built around the intellectual property and their creators, all of them were able to do what they were able to do because they had copyright protections. Intellectual property protections like copyrights, they're there to help incentivize and protect people so that they can go and do what they do well, bring new creativity into life, be it written word, be it film, be it music, be it sound effects, be it whatever it is, bring new intellectually important works to light. Now, once you start going down that process where you're bringing new work into the world, you know, IP protections are that tool that helps make sure that people have the ability to profit from that work, build good, solid assets, and really be able to build some of these kinds of major foundational changing things. Now, again, the vast majority of works are never going to achieve this. However, even so, the other part of this is even if you've not created a billion-dollar empire, even if what you've done is created a work that brings you a couple of thousand or a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year, it doesn't have to be some massive empire. But building an asset out of intellectual property is part of the foundation of how business works and how generational wealth works. Is Really, it's not just about can I sell a few books today or can I sell some albums and can I sell some copies? If you happen to be one of those people that happens to make and hit that great cultural change, that great impact on the way that the world works, then protecting that becomes really important. Why would I say that becomes really important? Well, it becomes important because it makes sure that you have control over how your intellectual property, how your assets are released to the world, how they're shown to the world. Uh, you know, with intellectual property, this is a great kind of messy area, right? We know about things like, um, you know, fair use, parody. There's a lot of ways in which things can be used and influence culture. We see a lot of things around derivative work. And so there's a lot of access in ways that ideas and culturally important work and ideas can be worked in and still protect someone's IP. That being the case, why would I ever want to allow something to enter the public domain? 
Well, fundamentally, this is really all about balance. Uh, when we look last year, uh, when Winnie the Pooh entered the public domain, we saw a couple of horror movies come out that were really parodies of Winnie the Pooh. Uh, this year, we're seeing much the same thing come out around Mickey Mouse-inspired type works. We're seeing some horror movies coming. We're seeing video games coming. Uh, I saw the trailer the other day for one that's a first-person shooter in that black-and-white kind of a, a world. And so it really becomes important because I, as a creator, if I've built something that has that kind of a foundational impact, if I'm doing things that make this kind of a change, then I want to make sure I'm controlling the narrative for how my creation is perceived and viewed and how its influence is working its way into the world. That's part of my benefit as a creator, but it's also part of my responsibility as a creator. Um, at the same time, there is a great value of eventually these works making their way into the public domain because it then frees these assets up to have and extend that creative influence on the world, which is really the balance we're trying to strike. What do I mean by that? Well, is there great cultural value in a Winnie the Pooh horror movie? That's up to the fans to decide. Uh, is there great cultural value in necessarily looking at a film like a Steamboat Willie and doing parodies of that? Well, there have been parodies done of it even back in the day because everything and all of the pieces that went into the Steamboat Willie film were really derivative of the culture at the time. The music, the story, all of those things really were pieces brought together to tell us that cultural point in time. You know, is there great importance to, for example, the notion that um, we see things like Lights of New York coming into the public domain? It's a film. It was one of the first talky movies. You know, is this something people are going to do a lot of derivative work off of? Probably not. But it has a lot of cultural asset and cultural value to it because it represented a shift in film and entertainment and what people saw and what they're being presented with. So just that nature of the fact that, that something like that is entering the public domain might revitalize it for an entire new fan base that are curious. They want to see it. They want to touch it. They want to view it. They want to understand it. Is that going to be everybody in the average viewer, the average fan? Probably not. But are there a lot of people that are old movie buffs? I love a lot of the old movies. I love seeing the storytelling, the, the visual aesthetics. Um, it gives and presents a part about the culture at the time that I think is very critical for us to understand where have we come from so that we can learn from those lessons and see where we're headed towards. Well, as we look at all of these considerations, and again, I think it's important to understand really the importance of Public Domain Day 2024, because Mickey Mouse represents everything good and bad about how IP has been dealt with and protected over the last 150 years, really. And it is now we're getting into that cycle where we're really finding that balance of value. The other big challenge here around intellectual property and the value of IP when we look at realistically how these things are dealt with and how they're treated. Uh, now that we have 
this slipping into and being able to be parodied in new ways, to be an, a greater influence in new ways and reduce the likelihood of being sued by Disney. You know, there's a lot here that is being brought in that we can culturally deal with. And realistically, over the next decade, we have a lot more culturally influential works, books, films, music that will be continuing to make its way in and will continue to influence culture. And we will be seeing what this is intended to do, which is to revive and revitalize our historical culture to see where we come from. So what is the importance then of protecting it? If I, as a creator, am looking at a work and I'm wanting to know what the value of my work is, you know, again, one of the things that I hear a lot of is, well, you know, Mickey Mouse has already made their money off of this. Why aren't they continuing to, you know, why, why didn't it just enter the public domain? Um, or for example, newer works, things like this, there's been a lot of cry about, well, this should have entered the public domain. One of the things that we have to look at and understand is this, the value of intellectual property like this, like Steamboat Willie, like an asset like Mickey Mouse, because once the character starts to enter the public domain, then you see more and more edging forward of how those characters will be used, how they can be portrayed, and you start to lose control. Well, when you start to lose that kind of control, one of the things that we often don't pay attention to is what the real value is of assets like this. If we look at the modern Disney, you know, Disney's just hit a century and, uh, you know, a hundred years of operation in October. So we're still celebrating their hundredth anniversary. You know, that's a hundred anniversary, hundred years as a company going from short cartoons and films for other companies up to the huge enterprise that it is today, touching every aspect of film and entertainment. Well, in truth, without being able to control and own the assets like Steamboat Willie, to control Mickey Mouse, control a lot of these assets, they would not have been able to become this company because these kinds of assets are the, the things that you leverage and borrow money against. This is how you build theme parks. This is how you fund the next generation of films. This is currently how Disney is paying for billions of dollars a year in losses of other works. Because if we look at the current Disney and the money that's being lost across film projects, if we look at what's being lost on Disney+, Plus, if we look at what's being lost on their streaming, if we look at the money that they are losing right now, as they're trying to go and redefine aspects of culture, well, the company would not have the option to do this without assets like this to continue to profit from and to be able to borrow against because no company sits on billions of dollars in cash. No company sits on bank accounts that are full of the past because money sitting and left alone somewhere does nothing. We have to invest it in how we build new assets, how we build and invest in the businesses, how we invest in our creative work. And again, without assets, without the ability to look at my back catalog, own that and control that, then the company would not have been able to do things like acquire Marvel, 
acquire Star Wars, acquire other properties. Now, I'm not arguing for the good, the bad, or the ugly of the things that have happened with these properties, no matter what your opinion is, but it's simply a matter of being able to own and control your assets like this and be able to create assets that have this kind of value are the things that we as creators should look at and learn from. So if you are a writer and you're creating a book series and you're hoping that you'll be the next massive writer, you're hoping to get six-figure, seven-figure contracts, you're wanting to be that New York Times bestseller, you're wanting to have your work turned into media, you want to have it become film, you want it on TV, you want it on streaming, you want to sell to these services. Well, you would not have that ability without assets being able to be controlled and owned and built like this, because otherwise what would happen is a lot of the time you would see media studios come down and they'd literally be able to just take the work and not pay you. Now, does this happen? Yep. And this is why we get into lawsuits. This is why we get into legal cases. This is why we get into case law about who's created something, who has value in it, who's added to the value of something, all of which continues to make intellectual property, IP law, all of these things way more challenging. And this is both the benefit and the burden to us as creators is being aware of what's come before us so that as we do new and contribute to the next generation of culture, as we build works on the things that have come before us, we still have to respect those things that have come before us and not necessarily claim things as our own that we know are our works are derivative from those ideas. So how do I then look at something like a Mickey Mouse? How do I look at these works that have entered the public domain? Some things are going to be pretty easy and pretty straightforward because, for example, a song like Cole Porter's coming to the public domain, now I can, I can use that particular version of the song if I'm creating a soundtrack, if I'm creating a film, I'm creating whatever it is I'm creating, I can now use that without fear of litigation. Does that mean I can now create any version of Mickey Mouse that I want to? And the answer is no. Uh, we've got plenty of case history of this, specifically around Sherlock Holmes. Because Disney has not only the copyright on every one of these works with Mickey Mouse, they also have each of these versions trademarked. So the version that is sitting here right over my shoulder, you know, you can look and see they don't, he doesn't have the gloves. The eyes are black circles. Even though there's a lot here that is foundational and we still see in current versions of Mickey Mouse, the only one that can be used is this version. Same thing is true as other characters that have developed over the years. Think about a Batman, Superman. As these characters move into the public domain, they can be used, but they can only be used with the representations that have moved into the public domain. If we think about Sherlock Holmes, the stories that entered the public domain could be used. I could create new stories and new characterizations using those characters and the characteristics that had already entered the public domain. And now that Sherlock Holmes has fully entered the public domain, all of those works are now available to be used. All of those characterizations are able to be used in new derivative works. So if you're looking forward and looking to use some of these things that have, or at least in some portion of the public domain, 
it does fall to you to understand what is and what is not public domain, how it can and can't be used. And again, for example, when we look at Mickey Mouse over my shoulder, you can use, in essence, that, that particular variation of Mickey Mouse in your new derivative works for parody. You can use it for creation. You can actually go and use that character now and create new comic stylings exactly that way. But again, remember, not only is the copyright there, there are the trademarks that protect it as well. So even though this particular representation has entered the public domain, it is still a trademark character. It is still, to some extent, a protected character. So this is one of those places where you have to be very cautious about how you look at and how you use these assets, even though they are, to some extent, in the public domain. How much and how far you can go really is going to depend on what you're trying to do with the character. So as we move forward and we go through Public Domain Day 2024, this is both a celebration of what intellectual property protections have allowed us to go and create over the years. It looks at large volumes, large assets that have been built by a lot of the media companies and conglomerates today. We get to see collections of assets of all of the great books, films, everything that's come before. And that's really what we should be celebrating with Public Domain Day is that every January 1 now, as new works enter the public domain, it is a celebration of what's come before. It is a revitalization of those works. And it's the thing that reminds us of what has come before. And it should be one of those things that we can take and tell and use as an influence into our new stories, into our new works, into our new creative output. And it's something that we should be looking at as part of the history to help revitalize by taking and reinventing for the future. So everybody have a great 2024 and we'll be seeing you again next week. Until then, this has been Creating Pros.